Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. I'm Claire. Yay, Claire's back. We've got Claire back. As promised for what will be our most divisive movie to date. If the the hints on the WhatsApp group are anything to go by, but we'll see. Um, So, before we get into that... um, uh, sorry, we were away last week. Um, Chris was dying, and now uh, he isn't. Oh, I'm <laughs> yeah. And now he just works for the Adams family. <laughs> Why is that? What? What's that reference? Your... <laughs> oh, lunch. Um, so we are back for uh, Mandy, as promised. Um, that sounds like a Friday night plan, and we're back for Mandy, as promised. Woo! Um, so we, before we get into that, I know it's been, I know it's unlikely, um, as you're not a horror fan, and it's only been two weeks. But Claire, we'll start with you. Have you seen anything horror apart from Mandy between recordings? Well, um, not horror, but this morning, this afternoon, I watched Hamilton on Disney mm. Plus. It's fantastic. It's really, really good. Excellent. Um, What's it about? It's about, as far as I can sort of follow, it's about the founding fathers of America. It's about oh, Alexander. Okay. Yeah. But um, it's all, it's like a really multi-racial cast and it's mm. all wrapped. It's, it's all yeah. rap singing that the, the young people do. You know, the rap mm-hmm. singing. Yeah. Yeah. Outside the bins, at, um, <laughs> in exchange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, that was fantastic. But Adam's had a lot on, and I've been watching stuff we've had. So probably a lot of the stuff we watched were the same. Uh, we watched a documentary about um, the process, which is like this sixties satanistic cult. Okay. Uh, they're called the, the the process church of the final judgment mm. and they basically their ideology is they worship christ and satan <laughs> equally depending on their mood because their argument is is how can you love one but not the whole that's yeah okay i can say that um, that's a very inclusive attitude yeah yeah but it also you know it's a group of young middle class like well-off young lads following this sort of young glamorous woman um she assigned the more biblical roles um including one that she said you look a bit like jesus you can be jesus (laughs) (laughs) then they decided that they they would all get high and have visions together and prophesize like that and they said one of them Basically, they ended up being in Mexico on the coast with no food or water, no money, starving to death until they found an old sort of church building that they lived in and worked out of that, breeding Alsatians. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. It is good. And it's interesting because it's kind of like what I would, I can only describe it as the feel good 60s cult film. Yeah. Because mm. no one comes out of it badly. They didn't kill anyone. Although Charles Manson did decide that he would go, well, I'm not saying that they didn't help me kill. Yeah. Um, oh, really? Oh, what a bellend. Yeah. He yeah. Just, I mean, basically, 
because they basically they started in England, so it's very so it's very swinging sixties. Basically, just all these guys. It's it's, it's almost proto Scientology in places because mm. they sort of started out that a lot of processes that uh, Scientology then nicked, like the idea of basically lie detector and mm. sort of expounding all your issues to try and bring them to clarity. Mm. Um, but yeah, so they started off in London, moved to Mexico, and then ended up in America. In San Francisco, so that in the 70s, so that gives you a clear indication as to what sort of cult and drug experience we're talking about. Here. Yeah, well, there's even a coffee shop that the Beatles would go to, um, and then they someone came up to Jesus who was on the decks and said they've asked for the Velvet Underground, and his reply was, They always ask for the Velvet Underground. <laughs> <laughs> They always, they always asked for the fucking Velvet Underground yeah. was the quote. And that was apparently the meanest thing that anyone heard within the church. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that was the level. But, but I mean, it's like a proper great sort of just fucked up adventure. And they're, they're all these now grizzled old grey guys mm. who are sort of like, they're all just slightly spaced and they're all a bit sort of like, well, I don't regret it. You know, I'm just <laughs> glad I'm not doing it now. Yeah, there's, <laughs> one, there's one guy, Timothy Wiley, who is... Uh, talks about um, at one point he fell out of favour and they said to him, well, flagellate yourself. Mm. And the quote of the film is, and I didn't know quite how high you can get doing that. <laughs> After the third one, if you really put yourself into it, wow. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, yeah, eventually it all sort of went to pop, but rather than all top themselves or anything, they all just sort of went, oh, okay. Oh, we'll go on then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we watched that and then we watched, oh God, we watched um, what, uh, Punishment Park. Oh yeah. Which is a film from the 70s where basically it's set up like a mockumentary. Hmm. And it's, you can either serve, it's all these sort of young teens and they're all being, they go, right, you've got your choice. You can either go to prison um, for 21 years or you can have four days in Punishment Park where you have four days to get travel like 23 miles or something across the desert. Um, but you get like a 24-hour head start and then the military are coming after you and if they catch you, we kill you. Like running men. That's the thing, is because it's it's basically it's very much like sort of again it's that sort of sixties counterculture thing mm. where like the authority, like the American authorities were cracking down on sort of mm. dissidents, protesters, etc. And yeah, so Punishment Park is basically described as a training zone, and you and it's basically the like the National Guard and various police officers from various sort of places around the country ch chasing you across the desert you've got no food and water they've got cars um, and guns but the whole point is is that if they capture you you end up doing your prison sentence but actually yeah what happens is they just end up shooting you in the head <laughs> and it's, but it is so it's genuinely heartbreaking it really is mm. at the end really quite upsetting um uh but absolutely fantastic like really i really enjoyed that and i didn't think i was going to watch it to begin with yeah 
and then yeah because you've got you kind of got drawn into that didn't yeah. you and then by the end of it you're you're watching it the same way as others yeah. but it's directed by um peter uh watkins who also directed a film uh, who also directed the war game and the war game was a again a spoof documentary of what happens when the bomb drops and it's again it's just so it's that thing of just absolutely plausible because they do it like a documentary and it's basically just like oh yes uh, so uh, it goes through like a list of uh, when the uh, when the initial explosion takes uh, takes place anyone looking at it has their eyes boiled from the inside of their heads and it's all done so matter of factly and then it's like uh, sort of week 14 looting uh, looting is now punishable by death under martial law oh god and sort of like proper yeah and he does a very good job of this sort of thing. Well, Punishment Park as well is, is um, ad-libbed most of it. Mm. So it really does feel genuine, like it feels authentic for the documentary. Very good. Yeah. Is that new? Is it new? No, it's, no, it's 1974. Oh, blimey. Uh, but again, it was one of those ones where it came out, I think the war game was actually going to be on the BBC and then they didn't show it to the 80s. Mm. Hmm. And that was like made in 1950 something, and then yeah, similarly this like went down like a sack of lead tits in America, and like they, I think it was banned out there for years and never shown hmm. stuff like that. But it does, it does feel current. It really does. Yeah, because I don't think much is, to be yeah. honest, you know. But oh, it's, wow. it is, it's, it's, it's definitely worth watching, and it's also that thing of it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel old. You can tell it's set in the seventies, and a couple of people might say "man," but other than that, it's yeah. It could be sort of filmed yesterday in terms of how it works and the structure and everything. It's really, really good. Excellent. Mm. Well, I'll check that out. Right. I watched Phase Four, but I don't think you did. I don't think so. No, because <laughs> Phase No, the one I watched yesterday. And it's basically sci-fi. It's a really great sci-fi film. It's um, basically ants start ganging up on humans. Mm. So it's, you know, like the old 50s where you get them. Mm. So that's, right, that's interesting because ants are pretty tough, aren't they? So I'm assuming that, yeah. they could be surprisingly effective. It's, well, it's done, it's done really, really well. And they've got a guy, um, they had a guy come in who was like specifically for the animal uh, footage, like animal mm. rambling, etc. And the ants act. It's just, it's impeccable. Like, they've just filmed it so well that you get, <laughs> like, and it's just weird things, like, you, under, you understand that it's an ant thinking about something, <laughs> which wow. is just incredible. Mm. But it's also done, it's that lovely thing of it's two scientists trying to break this thing down. But it's that proper, let's throw science at this, but in the sense of like mathematics, like what basically what they're trying to break down their communications because they can hear them mm. and hear them chittering. And there's a guy who's like a cryptology expert who's like, who's worked with killer whales and stuff like that. So he's like an animal language behaviorist. Meanwhile, the other guy is the only one who spotted that this has been occurring, but it's basically, it starts off that all the ants, like different breeds of ants, start hanging out together. Because <laughs> usually they war, 
but they start cooperating and then suddenly all the animals that prey on ants have disappeared. Mm. Wow. Because the ants have teamed up and eaten all the fucking spiders and scorpions and other, <laughs> you know, like tougher mm. thing. And yeah, they basically just work their way up the food chains of the humans. And it's, uh, it's uh, phase four and it's uh, Roman numerals, so it's phase IV. Yeah. And that's 74 as well, So because it looks similar to Country mm. because It's a lot of like arid desert and stuff like that. I mean, it's quite a good one to watch because at one point the ants set up a, a reflective surface to bounce onto the dome, like where the scientists are, to basically heat it up and fuck their equipment. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. So, but like I say, when you watch it, it's just so intrigued. Because I mean, I'm very insect phobic so i'm quite sort of ready to be Ugh. but in the end the way they photograph them they're just so fascinating and so large but and, and in the end there are bits where there's, there's one particular and who i can only describe as plucky <laughs> uh, he's wires in the air conditioning unit and i'm like watch out for the praying mantis but he, yeah um but yeah you get quite into it and certainly they turn out to be a Tad more likable than the scientists. So, but, but again, it's one of those lovely, easily done. It's one of those lovely sciencey natures, uh, sort of uh, lovely seventies thing of uh, yeah, you know all that hope you've got. Well, fuck that. <laughs> you stick that sky eye, mate. This is Armageddon. We aren't going to win against ants. They're going to kill us. Mm. So, you know. What's, what's your top three most disliked insects? I'm not telling you. Okay. I'm not broadcasting. I... I'm, I'm not broadcasting. <laughs> you bloody, you keep me as well. Well, yesterday I did have to remove a grasshopper from the kitchen. It was on mm. the set. I'm five foot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why that posed a problem. Yeah. <laughs> it was a prick. <laughs> I also I also watched a film called LFO, and again. Phase four, I would consider, although it has the element of sort of body horror almost, um, it is much more of a sci-fi film than a, Wait, a is that LFO is in low frequency oscillator. Yeah, and it's this. Sorry, is... no. Well done, Chris. Don't just go past that. Yeah. I do like playing with a synth or two. I just yeah. never make anything of any interest. <laughs> Sorry, in them. Sorry me, me and him are just like on general. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows that. I was talking to Ted about LFO the other day. Um, <laughs> and it's basically, uh, it's a Swedish film, recommended to him by Dean. So, uh, yeah. um, and it's kind of horror, horror adjacent in a way, but it's still very much sci-fi and it's a comedy, um, but it's really, really fucked up and, and actually quite nihilistic, but it's only <laughs> it's like 2013, 14 or something. So it's fairly recent. But basically, this guy discovers the frequency that allows you to program people. Mm. And it starts off with him just programming his neighbours to be nice to him. <laughs> and then it just gets out of hand. And I don't want to say much more than that because there's a bit in it where, because he's like, there's sort of bits in it where you're going, oh, hang on. Shit. Oh, I didn't realise that. So it has like a couple of twists within it that you're not quite up to speed with initially but then yeah it sort of goes from there where it's sort of like it reminded me it's almost like it has that same sort of feeling as pie 
Mm, okay. But done comedically and with mind control rather than discovering the whatever it is, 88 character name of God. So, so is it a bit more sophisticated than just a moog comes alive and goes around killing people? <laughs> Even though I would watch that movie, yeah. I, I am. I do much prefer that this is called LFO, and um, mm. and suitably, the soundtrack is very sort of radiophonic mm. uh, and trippy and everything. And it's, but it is just one of those. It's just, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch because it's sort of. It goes off into a lot of unexpected directions. Excellent. Yeah. That's good. And that's all the weather. <laughs> uh, you, I know, have watched something else because you were very excited about letting us know that you've done some extra homework. Um, yeah. On the group. So what have you seen in the last week that you were very keen to discuss? Well, so, so I came across while just reading the news, you know, casually enjoyably all of a sudden 2020's most talked about horror host is available to watch for free on a shudder trial and i thought i have shudder what how could this be so good that it's 2020's most talked about horror i thought all right let's let's read the article and uh, as it starts to explain it's all about um a zoom call that goes wrong and you think how you know what, what could that really turn into what what's the most they could manage to do with an actual real Zoom call, because of course everyone's locked down, so that really is, I thought, you know, it must be terrible, but it's 2020's most talked about horror. So I thought, I'd have to check it out. I started watching it, and it's definitely, it's not exactly what I would rush to watch normally, mm. um, but I was fascinated to see what effects are they gonna be able to do? What could the storyline be? And so essentially it's, uh, it's several friends decide to do a seance, I suppose it was to, uh, you know, do something a bit of fun as soon as, as everyone's locked down. And I actually, as it went on, um, there, there are definitely some bits in it that I thought they did really well considering I was trying to work out how they're doing it, how they're doing the effects. Um, and especially because I'm assuming that none of the actors, actresses, so I heard the other day that actresses like to be called actors. Yes, apart from at the Oscars, where they differentiate between the two as best actor and best actress. Yeah, okay. Well, it's, I'll it's, kind of like, it's kind of like not being... It's So it is just a, a single term rather than... Yeah, like someone have, who can act. Like you don't have WPC anymore. You just mm. have to Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, I see. So, so, yeah. what so what you're saying is calling a woman actress a, an actress is sexist until it means that she gets an award of her own. Um, only as Unless they just haven't caught up yet. And then all of a sudden, that's all fucking dandy. Yeah, that's how well, it is. Well, maybe they're going to give them a second category so that the men who organise the awards don't, yes. have to, don't have to lose any of their awards. Oh, well, yeah, they're yeah. all right. Okay, yeah, let you have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ain't going to right. So, so back to the actors. They, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, how much would they be able to actually create their own sets in their own rooms, houses, hmm. assuming that they have to do it all themselves? Now, I don't know whether, I guess they were sent out some props and possibly some uh, devices that could enable the effects to work. So I'm not sure. It'd be quite interesting to see. But yeah, uh, it was 
really quite good. And not knowing, it was funny, because having the thought of what are they going to be able to do also sort of puts you on edge, thinking, you know, what sort of scares are they going to try and do? Because surely they can't do that much. Hmm. But it was quite effective, um, some of it. You know, it's definitely a couple of jump scares, but I was quite impressed, really. So so I would definitely recommend watching it. Um, it'd be it interesting to see what you think. What's that? Has it been made during lockdown or? Yeah, yeah. So, so as I was reading, I thought, well, yeah, sounds good. What did he say? The um, right. So, Rob Savage, the writer director, said, "When lockdown began, I spent weeks binging everything on Shudder. So, to find myself premiering a new film on the platform only a few months later is incredible." Shudder understood the potential of this mad little film from day one and totally supported us making it in our own way. It was such a rewarding process and the final product is something we're all so proud of. Watch it if you dare. Ooh. Intriguing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. might say, I did spot this on Shudder, but what... Mm. <laughs> this is terrible to admit, but what put me off, because it just made me laugh too much to take the film seriously, um, is the fact that the, the cover for the movie is a picture above and a picture below the title, uh, and the picture below the title looks like a woman being crushed to death with a pair of giant tits. Um, and it made me <laughs> laugh loads, and then I didn't take the film seriously enough to bother watching it. I'll go back and, uh, and watch Titty Crush or whatever it's called. I'm going to have to check that out because that's not, that's not what I saw the cover as being. Feel me, so. No, it's, it's, like, it's her covers. Yeah, no, I know what it actually I see is. What you mean. But yeah. yeah, it does look a little I'm, bit like a woman being crushed to death for the matter. Ne- never had the the nightmare of being crushed to death by some tits. I didn't see it that way. I wouldn't be crying like that. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, but um, <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was, uh, we. We were talking, Lee, obviously, about what we should do next and things like that hmm. for filming. Just a thought. Um, I'm just putting it in the percolator, see if it comes out frothy. Um, <laughs> do we do hosts for an upcoming episode where Chris yeah. has produced us to a film? Yeah, good idea. Flipping it, man. Yeah. Mm. Reversing back on itself. So, yeah. That's, and also that's exciting. That film of 2020, so we better have that on the hashtag somewhere. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, definitely right. So that will be our next episode next week then. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Nice one, Chris. Fantastic. Uh, I did. I did watch one more thing. However, I skipped it mostly. <laughs> right. Now the reason was is because it's the Human Centipede, right? And I just thought. I had no interest in watching it. I thought it was just going to be some weird, messed up monster thing. But I didn't really know why everyone had such a sort of uh, odd view of it. Or, you know, I couldn't tell if people generally hate it. Well, anyway, so because I saw it on there, I thought, all right, I'm just going to press play. And then I'll just get through a few bits and see what it's about. And I did not expect it to be what it was about at all. <laughs> I just, you know. And it's it's weird, and it, uh, in a way, that I suppose that's better. But yeah, it, not enjoyable. If I'd yeah. known that's what it was about, I probably wouldn't have watched it. <laughs> that's mainly what people. That's that's been the. I think a lot of people who complained about it and didn't like it. It was un, on the understanding that you were fully aware that two people, well, three people, get stitched ass to mouth 
to form a human centipede. Um, I would absolutely recommend those South Park did a brilliant episode, a human centipede episode. It was absolutely fantastic. So yeah, would oh, really. <laughs> so I seem to remember seeing that quite a long time ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is what started me off thinking perhaps I should watch it one day. Yeah. Um, I can't quite remember what happened in the episode, but yeah, I, I totally, I don't, I obviously didn't take away the fact that our stitch skip in that way. Because <laughs> as, he, as he started explaining it, I was like, what? That's yeah. weird. Yeah, I think I imagined they were going to end up looking more like a kind of monster, like some CG effects. And, yeah. No, yeah. no. It's just. Adam and I were at Fright Fest the year that that came out. Um, mm. And I did, I hadn't heard of it, um, so we bought all our tickets and everything. And after that, mm. Adam went, "Have you seen this film that's showing?" And I went, "I saw the title. It sounded ridiculous." Um, yeah, and then I watched the trailer. And I went, "Oh no!" And by the time we got on, it all slowed out. But yeah, you're not getting anywhere near that. Yeah, I was I was I was very depressed because we looked because we had some great we, we watched some great things, but it was like a man stitches someone's head to someone's ass. <laughs> We've got to see that. Well, and we missed it. Mm. Um, speaking of Fright Fest, sorry, just very quickly. Fright Fest this year, 2020, has not been cancelled. Um, it is being done entirely stream. Oh, wow. Um, so I think it's like 65 quid or something for the 63 quid, possibly, um, for the four days. And basically, all the films are on, and they run not side by side, but like they, they stagger them. So there's a film starting every hour or so. So you'd have to pick which ones you want to see. But if you mm. buy the full ticket for sixty five quid, you can you can go through and watch loads of it all in real time. Um, I think that's a fantastic idea, and I am definitely very tempted to do that. I'm, I may be, I may, I may do the same. When is it? It's yeah. end of August, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes, last weekend of August. Yeah. No, I could be very tempted as well because I think, to be honest, I think that that's that's be, that's a better version of film festivals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, without the geeks. I mean, <laughs> we love our fans. We love our. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, but even then, under normal circumstances, say say we weren't. Uh, like social distancing, whatever, isolating. We could go around yours and spend the weekend. Mm. And it would, you know, we'd still be all together. Okay, you, you know, there's there's no one set up a stall selling room morgue magazine. Lee could set one of those up. I could do yeah, that. <laughs> but, you know, there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to, uh, you know, there's no sort of stalls and things like that. And I don't decry the experience of going somewhere. But I mean, there's, there's ones like in the States that I would love to go to that don't, you know, best will in the world. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to necessarily, even if I'm going on holiday, it's not going to be like a particular festival unless there was something that was like, you know, we're only showing this film here and it's the best yeah. film ever made. Scripted by Satan, made by God. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think, yeah, that, it's sort of a bit more inclusive then, and you can pick and choose as well, you know, which is a good thing. Right. It is, and the, the, the thing as well that I liked about doing it this way, um, yeah, is the fact that if, if you have got a big space where there's nothing you want to watch for three hours, 
you're not stuck in Leicester Square where you're like, well, I can go and pay three quid for a single slice of pizza or, uh, yeah, go, yeah, go and pay 12 quid for a gin and tonic or, yeah, if you're at home, you can just go and do something else and then come back whenever the film's mm. yeah. back what you want to do. Um, happy to sort of text me mates and chew loudly behind it if you really want to. <laughs> that is tempting. If you are going to do it, Adam, I might do that. I might just send you a backing track of the crisp packets and I'll send it to Claire. She can play it in the background while you're watching a film. Whereas, whereas I'll just, I'll just get like the, the most like movie accurate cosplay of something, but go on my and not talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> just to get that, just to give you that again, that whole sort of festival, film festival experience. <laughs> now we've rubbished everybody who's listening to us. Um, <laughs> none of our listeners are like that. I'm sure. I don't know that guy. Um, uh, I, so I've watched a couple of things. Sorry, we've gone on quite a while, but I do want to cover these. A um, couple of things I've seen well worth watching. I finally this afternoon caught up with uh, the Slumber Party Massacre for the first time. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I'd never seen this film for so long. It's been on my shelf for the best part of a decade now. Um, yeah, uh, really good. It's a really good, fun film. I can see how it spawned a franchise. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm going to have to see the other films in the franchise just because they are ludicrously nothing like the first one. Uh, the second one is a musical, which, like, I don't even see where that comes from. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, but, but what made me laugh was, so the reason I initially wanted to see it um, is it was a pleasure, which had been written and directed by um, uh, two women. So I was like, mm -hmm. okay, so it's not going to have that misogynistic edge that a lot of slashers have, you know. Um, so I was keen to see how two women would take the slasher genre, especially in its earlier years as well. You know, not like now where we can look back on 40 years of history and, and see it from here, um, but doing it very much in the moment. Um, yeah, there's more completely unnecessary nudity and very long shots of women's boobs and bums for no reason whatsoever than there are in any slasher I've ever seen. Um, so... Don't know what was going on there. I've not read too far into it, but yeah, it was not in the least at what I was expecting. But yeah, I mean, it was still it was fun. It was amusing. It was as dark as it was meant to be. So, um, and in contrast to that, I also watched the uh, Amazon Prime movie Vast of Night. Oh, yeah. Um, on the recommendation of uh, previous guest Darnie messaged me and said, oh, I just watched this last night. Um, if you get a chance, give it a go. Um, oh, fantastic film. Oh, good, because I've, I've been sort of hearing about that and I thought it looked, looked pretty good, so yeah. It's really, really, it's on a super low budget um, and considering what they do, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, it's, a, it's an alien not alien invasion, but it's a, you know, it's a UFO movie. Um, yeah. It felt a lot like Pontypool. Mm. It certainly has that look in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah. The first 20 minutes or so felt a lot like Pontypool. And then after that, it goes more into Close Encounters territory where they're kind of mm. chasing around, trying to 
look for it and work out what's going on and protect their families and, and do everything. Yeah, it was a really, really good thing. Um, and I love it. And it takes place in a very small town. Um, and in order to keep you feeling that, instead of them, it cutting away from from one location to the next, it literally does like a ground level shot two or three times. So you'll be in the um, uh, the radio, local radio station and it'll cut to the basketball game where everyone is. But instead of cutting from one scene to the next, the camera will literally drop to ground level, leave the building, shoot down the high street, along the school, across the baseball field. And yeah, and it's, it's really, really good. I love it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's really good. It's got some good little... Um, Easter eggs as well for people who are into their classic stuff. Um, I won't give any of those away, but I'll see if you spot them, Adam. Uh, yeah, so check that out. It is awesome. Uh, yes, so on to the main event. I'm interested to see where this one is going to end up. So uh, we have finally watched Mandy uh, from 2018. So this was a big, a big release in 2018, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, very. But for a low-budget movie like this, um, it, it, it really did have a lot of buzz about it. Um, yeah, and the trailer just looked astonishing. I remember there being buzz at work with people who are not interested in horror or anything, just going, have you seen the trailer for this? It's just that shit. Um, and it was. I wish I'd stopped at the trailer. But, <laughs> no spoilers. Um so let's start with Claire as our guest this evening. Claire, no, not pulling any punches, just yeah. a little out there. This is a safe space. What did you make of Andy? Well, <laughs> I can see its appeal, but I do not think in any way that is aimed at me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it, it's just stupid. Like, it's almost cartoony. Mm. But there's so many bits where I was looking at it going, 14-year-old boys draw this on the back of their exercise books at school. <laughs> they draw a monster with a knife for a cock. Do you know what I mean? They draw... It was just weird. I love the first, the first half. I like it. I mm, that's what, interesting. I that thought, is interesting. I like the um, bit where Mandy is in like the church with Jeremiah doing his sermon, and she just laughs at him. Like, yeah, yeah. I thought that was great. I really liked mm. that. I liked how it looked. I liked how the whole film looked. It was just it just got so ridiculous that I couldn't see past. Like how just how fucking mental it got <laughs> it's the most metal film that has ever been made by anybody <laughs> um, but yeah it's just it's not one I'll watch again but I was entertained I'll give it mm, that. <laughs> that that could be the thing yeah I was entertained but wow <laughs> just wow yeah, I don't know. Maybe you guys know what 
Red's job is meant to be. That means he's apparently a lumberjack in the beginning, but yeah. he's also a sniper, a blacksmith. Well, I, I assumed he used to be in the military. Yep. Yeah. Now, it's funny you say that. I had the same thing. I was like, right, so Mandy is the hippiest person ever. Like, mm. if you cut that woman, she would bleed patchouli oil. Like, she is <laughs> on as hippie as they come. But she's married to a logger who cuts down trees for a living. I was like, really? That's like a vegetarian married, married to a slaughterhouse owner. Like, just, I didn't, I didn't get it. Just didn't get it. Well, what's wrong with lumberjacks? Well, they're cutting down the trees, you know, and like if you're, you know, into protecting nature and, you know, all that. I don't think that a logger would necessarily be the first person that you'd run to. Maybe they just came together. It was fate. Maybe you just had weed and that was all she gave a shit about. Who knows? Flaky fucking woman. But yeah, I must overall I was gonna say massive style over substance. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and in that vein, look if that had come out when I was fourteen, fifteen and we were all watching it, you know, at a party, it would be awesome. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, I would say I, I definitely was entertained. I did enjoy it, and I did really like the first half. And mm. I didn't totally get why those elements had come together to make the story in the end. But, but yeah, you know, well, it was good, great. Um, especially the scene that you've got behind you. The bathroom. Scene. The bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like Nicolas Cage did do some nice scenes, you know, showing a man yeah. in anguish, yeah. pretty mildly. I got the impression he did that film for free because they said, you know what, once we've killed your wife, we're going to put you in a bathroom and you can do anything you like. And mm. that's what he created. It felt very real, you know, the way he was... It felt very much just like a mess. Nicolas Cage would react. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> The weird thing was is I've seen I've seen Mandy in the cinema, which is distinctly the best way to see it because mm, everything, yeah. you know everything is heightened, everything is louder. You're fixed on this huge screen. Can I ask when you were watching it in the cinema? Yeah, was everybody taking it seriously, or were there like no? This is the point. Is, is inter- and it's the bathroom scene that's the interesting bit yeah. because mm. I think that first half where it's quite mellow and also you've got the stuff with the cult mm. everyone was a bit more sort of subdued yeah and I think everyone uh, there was there was a pro- definitely a faction of the audience that were there for Nicholas Cage is in this mental movie yeah. and he's yeah. doing Nicholas Cage and he's being mental in this movie called Nicholas Cage goes yeah, mental we need to find the man <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it got to the bathroom bit, and people were laughing, but it really petered out quick because yeah. of how good that yeah. he actually does. Yeah. You know, it is, you know, it starts off just like, here we go, it's the Nicholas Cage bit. Oh, no, he's roaring, he's got a bottle of vodka, yeah. he's in his pants. It's a, oh, oh, here he's burnt alive. Yeah. Oh, fuck, yeah, he feels bad about that. Oh no, I've got empathy with Nicholas Cage. <laughs> but and then after that, 
the weird thing was is that that also got everyone on side. Yeah. Mm. Because everyone was really cheering and laughing at every murder mm. that Red Red commits. Like when he kills the bikers, when he kills the, um, the, the children of the New Dawn. All of it was just so enjoyable at that point for everyone in the audience that it was like, yeah. Regardless of what you feel, you feel about this film, nobody can say Nicolas Cage isn't absolutely amazing in it. Like, mm. just... And almost regardless of how you watch it, whether you watch it as a kind of black comedy or you watch it as a very serious revenge movie, mm. he is... And this is, again, tonally, that's kind of where I was fluctuating. It seems so ludicrous that it feels like it should be a black comedy. Yeah, but, but it isn't. It is too dark almost yeah. to, to feel it that way. And that's why I found it a very, I never quite knew how to take it necessarily. It does, I will say I that, to sleep. it does have a very uneven tone in that sense. Hmm. But I think, and this this is again something we were talking about, haven't we? I don't know yet. Oh yeah, that's true. Is kind of like the director's whole deal was that he wanted to make a tribute of eighties movies mm. or mm. 80s sort of revenge movies and stuff like that. And I think that's. I think that's what, where it comes from. And it's weird that it's like the stuff we've all gone, oh yeah, because he was special ops. Mm. It's never mentioned in the film, but mm. it's an 80s revenge film. He in was, your brain, you're hardwired, that it's like, oh yeah, sure. he's special ops, he's an expert. You know, it's Rambo, it's, yeah. uh, you know, any sort of action hero, they're always like, oh yeah, no, it turns out, Oh yeah, he's a mild mannered janitor, but actually he was trained by the yeah. And yeah, so you immediately and I think that's the thing is that he uh, like the director kind of skips those bits because his feeling is that you know that. Yeah. Because of what this is in homage to or whatever. Like he that. really is only targeting that market. Yeah, and it, well, similarly, because it's, it's weird, because when you watch it, because you've got the title cards, I feel it's like three movies. Mm. So the first movie is uh, The Silver Mountains, which is just basically a love story of a broken man and a broken woman. Mm. And it's probably the film that would do the least business, because no one would be that bothered about it. Then you've got the second film, which... <laughs> then you've got the second film, which is Children of the New Dawn, which is the 70s cult film, like, you know, Manson families type stuff that sort of goes on. You've got this terrible, horrible um, group of uh, fuck-ups full of drugs uh, who dabble in the occult and end up in a home invasion. And it's very, that sort of cult movie sort of thing. And then the third film is Mandy, uh, and, and then the third film is Mandy, which is The Revenge. Yeah. But you get the trilogy in one film. Mm. so. Technically, although a lot of people feel it quite long-winded, you're actually getting it quite, quite truncated. Condensed. <laughs> a very, very weird trilogy of disparate films that you suddenly like. Oh, really? Oh, that's a sequel to this, and it's like, oh, that was the love story that they did in that other film. Yeah. Oh no, they've just been. She's just been burned to death by a lot of murderous hippies. 
<laughs> we always have a, a late night conversation out in the garden, and uh, <laughs> and we laughed. We watched it, and I said something that Adam didn't think because I thought that the first film, which is what Adam said, the first film was um, Mandy's trip, and then the second film was real life. Mm-hmm. And then the third film was Red's trip. Like that's mm. what I because when you like the drawings that she draws at the beginning mm-hmm. are basically the end like the end shot when Red's driving off and it's like the two sons and all that. Yeah. There's just a lot of it that I just assumed that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like, See, I didn't think of that. Are you quite? It's a great theory as well because it's like because it does because you also had the you had the theory that um, red is her hallucination, like her yeah. red is her trip. He's like yeah. there's no Mandy and red. There's just one person, and it's like Mandy. They're expressions of the same personality essentially. Yeah, and yeah. And so it's like someone gets fucked over by the cult and then they go and fuck the cult over. But it's like destroying one person in that person's head. Mm, yeah. Rather than, you know. Because the, the other bit I mean, think about with that, when um, at the end, skipping ahead a bit, when Red goes to see the chemist and they could kind of read each other's mind. Yeah. I assumed that Mandy could read Jeremiah's mind and that's why he could she could see through him and just laugh hmm. while she wasn't taking it in because she could just go, hmm. you're just another bloke standing there with a cup. Yeah. Like, that's Playing funny. some funny music. Yeah. See, oh, yeah, he's mixed. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> well, that was the point. When he said, oh, this is an album I've recorded, you went, I know this one. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it was, what, what did he say it was better than? Uh, he said it was better than The Carpenters. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I don't know if this is something that sort of uh, I did get a sudden realization that it isn't, and it's like, and I, it's a term that I've veered away from, and I think it's something that's much more of an American concern. But it is an anti boomer film because basically mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we're the peace and love children from the 60s, and it's like, yeah, we'll turn up, try and nick your girl, set fire to her, yeah. and then the 80s turns around and fucking. <laughs> Down. Yeah, because <laughs> there's, um, because there's the whole thing with which I love, which is the acid distorts reality thing, hmm. whereby you could give someone basically it's the power of the imagination over reality, and that you could give someone a heavy enough dose of acid that their hallucination becomes real. <laughs> or that they actually shift physically as a person. Because mm. that's the whole point with the Black Skulls, is that they're just a bunch of bikers who are spiked, but we presume by the chemist, so, who, let's mm. face is preparing blotter acid with no gloves on. Yeah. So he's pretty high. <laughs> yeah. And he's got a fucking tiger. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that, there's, there's... Just a ogre and a tiger. What more do you need? <laughs> it's, like, it's like he's got... It's like he's got the man with the golden gun thing, and then but then he forswears that, and he forswears testing on the tiger because he meets Red, and 
it's an interesting thing where it's I said about being on the same trip and being on a different trip mm. where the chemist like he says that when when the acid's mellow the tiger's mellow because he's testing it on Lizzie the tiger mm. but him and red are on the same trip because he can understand red because red doesn't say a word to him but he reads his mind yeah whereas jeremiah when red turns up even though red talks to him red he's saying to red he just keeps going look would you just talk yeah because when he comes into the room and he's just silent and it's because mm. jeremiah's on a completely different fucking trip mm. where he he's he's on the bad trip as it were rather than the righteous trip so he can't read red's brain because he is too fucked up in his own self and it's like yeah sorry i just rather <laughs> I think this film might have been aimed a bit at me yeah so there we go that's but, fine because it definitely wasn't aimed at me and i'm gonna let you all get everything out of your systems and <laughs> i am gonna go through my three pages of notes because <laughs> i've decided that, that yeah so then i can join in good good <laughs> um so you enjoyed this then chris yes you did. You say, cause you were very keen. You were very, oh, right, yeah, I finished it. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, well, because well, I can see why there are certain aspects to it that you wouldn't like. So, you know, the first half was very desolate, you know, not very nice feeling. And then she gets burned alive. You know, all things that probably aren't your top, for, for enjoying uh, and but then because it changes so much you know it's interesting to see that if you like i think you said if you cut away the first half you would have quite enjoyed it so i think this is my issue so i've never really been into the revenge movies particularly mm. anyway um but in my mind a revenge movie is an hour and a half it's a 20 minute setup maybe yeah then 20 minutes of like prep work and then mm. right we've we've shown you why these people deserve everything that's going to happen to them we've shown you how this person is going to be capable of doing it and now you get to just sit back and enjoy horrible horrible torture like and i i i, I get that um but my issue is that this film doesn't do that at all um so it takes so for the first 20 minutes, it is just Red and Mandy. Yeah. Um, and he loves her and she loves him. And I get mm. that, right? But we got exactly the same sort of level of um, affection, if you like. Um, I made a note from Pumpkinhead. Mm. Um, so Lance Henriksen and the Milky Bar Kid, we only see them for like three minutes, but you totally get how dependent yeah. they are on each other and that love. So dragging that out it's to 20 minutes. It's a different relationship in Pumpkinhead, though. Sorry? It's a different relationship in Pumpkinhead, though, because it's like, uh, 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 like a parent. Yeah. Parent and child, rather than two possibly not even married couple. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah, sorry, yeah and possibly both a bit messed up in some yeah. way as well. But I, I suppose I liked the fact that they sort of showed her artistic side and her story of her childhood and like, i kind of liked it being drawn out yeah see it just for me i was just like i think because i just found her a bit too hippy dippy mm. 
So I was just, so I just found her really fucking annoying. And the more time I spent with her, the more I was like, Will somebody just kill this bitch because I know it's coming and I wish they'd just get on with it. Um, I think not so I feel like she had to be that level of hippy dippy though, because if she was just sort of your average girl, she would be really out of place in a film like this where the extreme is so fucking extreme. Yeah. So, you know, the whole second part of the film stands out as it is. I think if she wasn't the extreme opposite of all of that, maybe she would have felt really two-dimensional. I don't know. I think the contrast of where, where they live and you know, she's she's doing art um, or drawing, and she's reading the fantasy book. And you know, you sort of imagine there wasn't much she could ever aspire to where she lived. Perhaps she's just working in the shop. Yeah, um, she definitely chose that. I mean, he said to her at one point, "Maybe we should leave all this and move elsewhere." And she says, "No, I'm happy where it, we are." Yeah, in that house that looks like it's made out of a mosquito net. Mm-hmm. But there. <laughs> Um, it looks like a mosquito net conservatory on the side of the house made of rubble. Like, it's just it's random glass and random bits of wood. It looks like a shanty town that they just live in in the middle of the forest, which I'm sure is lovely if you're uh, her. Um, but I couldn't get, couldn't get to grips with any of quite the geography of quite where they live, especially with that random-ass bathroom in the middle of it. Which is just a 60s nightmare in the centre of what is effectively a junkyard. I was like, it was just an outhouse and they just expanded. <laughs> just a dummy next to um, like Crystal Lake. Because they do mention it's Crystal Lake where they live. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, but um, yeah, maybe it's just a bog and they just build around it with offcuts that he makes from work. See, now that brings up my next point of this, which is. The bikers, although they are a, a fantastic, uh, uh, like we were saying, like a visual element and the idea of them of being these bikers who have taken so much acid that like almost the reality around them is distorted by how tripping they are at all times. Like That's a really cool concept. Those characters did nothing for this story. They basically, they called them in. They made a human sacrifice to them. And basically, they went, switched the fuses off, and then gaffer taped him in her mouth. And that was all they did. Yeah. And then the rest of the gang just came in and did their shit. I was like, there was no need for, for them at all to be part of this story. That was my one thing with this, is that I, if I was to say the thing I would change, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I coined the phrase, so I'm going to use it, the Cenobikers... <laughs> should have been they should have been like the sort of next level bosses yeah should have yeah. red should have been kid, taken like should have been tried to get to the cult been stopped on. killed the cult then moved on to the bikers who were project obviously you have to finish for jeremiah because that's the point mm-hmm. but, um yeah the bikers should have been more they should have been the things that were difficult to kill yeah mm. Because he does fuck them up quite easily. And, and again, this, this is the problem. So it's a two hour and one minute long film. He kills the first biker 
one hour and 15 minutes in, and if you say he, that that character is dispatched in under 60 seconds, like that's just done. And then he doesn't actually get to killing the cult until one hour and 39 minutes. So there's only 20 minutes left of the film by the time he gets to the cult. It's a two hour film. You can't take that long. To, and, and that's the, like, it's a beautiful film and I love the shooting and I loved all the different, uh, like the way they did it all in the, that trippy, strange colours and all the rest of it. And him making a massive axe for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Like, I loved all that, but this should have been, like, if it was a real homage to those 1980s films, this should have been an hour and 15 minutes, and it should have been five minutes of him and her, ten minutes of the cult, then she gets killed, then he goes on the revenge thing, and it should have been an hour and 15 minutes. It was just, this feels like a director's cut to me. The film mm. should have been an hour and 15 minutes, and then the director's cut, for those people who are obsessed with it, should have been... Like that whole thing about, like you were saying, I know you saying you particularly liked it, um, but the whole world doing things they're talking about, her dad and the... the uh, and, yeah, Starling, sorry. And the, mm. like, I, I don't get what any of that had to do with, apart from making her quite as like soft and floofy as it clearly did. It, like well, so much of it could have just... She clearly is come from a fucked background. Hmm. But then I think the, the weirdest part of it is that actually technically the end of the film is her laughing at Jeremiah. That is when Jeremiah Sands is destroyed. Yeah. Everything after that is addendum to it. But in terms of the actual battle of wills and the point of the film is this sleazy you know just all the worst aspects of human nature of male nature getting reduced to standing there with his cock out while a woman just laughs at him yeah. and his crap album and his fucking goons like his bunch of pathetic because that's uh, that's another thing I like I like the fact cult shit yeah mm -hmm. It makes you feel like they're a real cult. One of which I noticed in the credits, because obviously you don't hear many of the names in this. Uh, one of them is called Brother Klopek, which I'm assuming is a Burbs reference. Nice. Um, but like the bit where they're sitting there, like that one's just sitting there playing with the window. Yeah. Oh, Brother Swan's just there like... So. <sighs> See, that, that I found hilarious, because it was like, this is... This is why he has to go and get the bikers. Yeah. Because his crew, like this is this is his domain, his kingdom, is populated by fuck ups and thick ups. Which, which again, know. if you've got a cult, that's that's what you get. You, you are exactly. getting the rejects, you're getting the people who don't fit into society, who mm. don't fit in anywhere, who are just desperate to belong. So what you end up with is a load of random weirdos who like nobody wants to have anything to do with. And uh, uh, like there's so many elements of this that I thought were fantastic. Um, and I, honestly, I, I was surprised how much I was unimpressed with this film because it's got so many fantastic elements, things like that, that they really have taken the time together, the time to put together. Um, the, the final doom scene as well in that church with the doom playing as like, yeah. oh, it's just 
it's absolutely astonishing. Um, I think this is where definitely because it's the same with um, the director Panos Cos Cosmas Cosmatos, which is brilliant because he's got Cosmos in his name, so you know <laughs> that's really quite trippy. Um, his first film, Beyond the Black Rainbow, again, really, really slow paced, looks astonishing. Like, especially because it, you know, it's obviously both this and Mandy are on low budgets. Hmm. But I mean, he makes that Beyond the Black Rainbow looks like 2001. Mm -hmm. It's that sort of pristine and amazing look. And, but again, that was a he sort of like I think they're kind of twinned with each other in a weird way because the whole point I showed you the sequence earlier, there's a bit in that where basically the explanation for the what is it's again it's set in nineteen eighty three, same as this is. Hmm. And but it has a flashback to nineteen sixty six where uh this acid has been developed that distorts people's reality and they come back changed. And not for the good, you know, they're, they're fucked up and mutated and evil. And there's bits in it which seem to be pictures of the bikers, yeah. like this guy's research notes, like the evil guy in it, there's, he's got the bikers and stuff like that. But even the main character that you showed me, he has green eyes like that, or you know the, um, the, the knife that Jeremiah uses to stab Red with? Yeah. With the green eye in it, like those <laughs> eyes were the same, weren't they? Yeah. And, and even to that to that point, I had to I had to show it to you because there's a bit where this guy is driving along, and as I say, he's not in his human guise, but he's driving along, and he looks over to the passenger seat and sees himself in his human form, like talking to him and saying, "You look great." <laughs> he's smiling back, but it's almost shot for shot the Mandy yeah. and Red yeah. scene mm -hmm. at the end, where it's like she's with him, but as a spirit sort of thing mm. and there is a part of me that would like them to go along and do the fucked up like sequel but only if they just go full Conan with it where it's like it's totally Red's trip on this fucking two sun planet because um, I because it's like I like the idea that if you're in Red's trip I like the idea that this all happens actually at the shitty motel that the cult live at but in his head, the mountain of church, mm -hmm. yeah, like in the fucking desert, like something out of like tattoo-looking mm. stuff. And but yeah, actually, Red just goes and fucking kills them at that shitty motel, and like has a chainsaw fight with a guy in the car park and stuff. Mm. And, you know, so you know, I like the the reality bleeding stuff, and I like the fact that it does reference Beyond the Black Rainbow. Beyond the Black Rainbow does have that same thing. It is distinctly style over substance, and I actually think I possibly prefer Beyond the Black Rainbow. Mm. Okay. But, but it is very, that's much more just sci-fi, but again, it has that sort of, it's again trying to sort of hint at, basically, Panos Cosmatos said that his, um, his upbringing, he tried to, he's trying to make the films that he thought the films in the video shop were. Because he said that thing about like that's you a look great at concept. Well, mm. he said, if you look at the fucked up covers of mm. like these films, he was never allowed to rent them because he was only little. So he would make up in his head what the films were, if you see what I mean. 
you know, much, I mean, we've said about it before, haven't we? Where it's like you, you'd go into the video shop and there'd be stuff there where you'd be like, that looks absolutely just fucking look, horrible. Yeah. And it's just like bollocks. You're explaining now. Yeah. Does sound like the madness of someone you try and make this film. Yeah. Like someone who would say that sentence would then make this film. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But this, I felt like it felt like a sequel. But not like number two, it felt like Mandy Five, where it was like the greatest hits. It was like, oh, he's killing them like he did the thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. the collapse is back. Oh, look, it's a chainsaw. He's got an even bigger chainsaw. Like, <laughs> that's what it felt like the second half was just, yeah. uh, look at all these cool things. You can play this when you go home. Like, you're going to play Mandy, and like, you and your mates are going to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm good to play Mandy. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're totally right. But it's funny you say that, Claire. So, so is that ha- kind of how this is for you? Obviously, I'm only recently getting into horror. Is that yeah. kind of how you're finding it? Like the videos that you looked at the boxes of and all the rest of it, and always avoided. Are you now seeing them differently through the eyes of someone who does watch more? Horror? I don't know because I think. It's always been, rather than like visual for me, it's always been the thought of something that's worse. I guess that's what horror is. Hmm. But rather than going, oh, look at this scary face, it's the idea of when am I going to see that scary face? Yeah. So, like, boxes and that never put me off. Trailers on the TV, I would never watch, like, Halloween. Watching Channel 4 on Halloween is awful because they haven't had that every six minutes. And then it's always for the latest horror films. That was always worse for me than mm. seeing like video or DVD covers. Yeah, I think I think that's I think it's also that difference between you would just avoid the horror section, whereas yeah. as kids we'd be like, "Well, what's in the horror section?" Oh, never let me see that. Yeah, but, you know stuff like like I said to I think it was when when Bobby uh, from Not for Everyone, go listen to Not for Everyone podcast when Bobby was on. And we were talking about stuff, and it was like I remember the burning, uh, like the cover of the burning, where it's just the silhouette with the um, shields. Yeah, and that is far that you know has probably imprinted that it's a far worse film than it actually can be and yeah. possibly is. No matter what, it's just yeah. And it's the same, I suppose it's the same with the trailers because it's you're setting out in your stall. If you're a horror film, yeah. you're only going to show everyone the jump scares and the scary beasts. Yeah. So it's best for you to yeah. avert your gaze. Yeah. But Panos Cosmatos, his dad is George P. Cosmatos, who directed Cobra, Rambo First Blood <laughs> Part 2, Leviathan, okay. and Tombstone. Really? Uh, yeah. tomb- I remember Tombstone being. More, uh, so is it more sophisticated than those other others you mentioned? I seem to remember it being quite. I watched Tombstone about a month ago for the first time ever. Mm. I went through like a western. Oh thing. yeah, um, yeah! What a fantastic film that is! Absolutely well, amazing. Beyond the Black Rainbow was basically made on the residuals from Tombstone after his dad died. Mm. Yeah, he he he's only been making films since his parents have died so I'm mm. not sure it's an exit well also it's an artistic exorcism of because the other film like his 80s films are quite 
they're the action films we're talking about where yeah. a special ops guy mm. yeah. you know Rambo is the, the obvious one like damaged Viet Vet yeah takes revenge on the small town that refused to understand <laughs> but, but I would definitely watch Beyond the Black Rainbow and I'd like to see what he comes up with next I genuinely I would recommend Beyond the Black Rainbow I know definitely not for Lee because I know that if he finds if mm. he finds the face of Mandy slow he would just be Really frustrated by Beyond the Black Rainbow, but definitely, Chris, I recommend that. I would recommend if you enjoyed Mandy, especially on a visual level. Mm. Um, you know, Beyond the Black Rainbow, it it has a different look. It's so much more sort of clinical and yeah. sci-fi looking. Yeah, okay. He's very sort of you know uh, quite he's gritty, dirty. I yeah, not yeah. gritty really. It's gritty, really realistic. I suppose. Grubby. Grubby. I, mean, I will give it that. Is um. I liked that red got realistically dirty. Mm. Like he looked horrible at the end. Yeah. Of it. Mm. Like he was really grubby. Um, but yeah, there's a YouTuber we watch called Elvis the Alien, and he was um, he reviewed Beyond the Black Rainbow and he compared mm. it, to, like looking wise, to 2001. Mm. Okay. That sort of look, and it definitely looks like that from what I've seen. I've not watched the whole thing, but yeah. that looks like that. Yeah. Well, 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 it could well, be well, that, that well, you well, know, these are his first two films. Possibly Mandy kind of did better than, you know, perhaps it should have done at this point. And, you know, he might be working his way towards it. Because, to, you know, to be fair, if he's trying to do something like one of those films, but bringing it into a more modern aesthetic, that probably is quite a hard thing to to do while still keeping it kind of with an independent unique style and yeah. if you don't have a big budget you know it's probably pretty difficult I think well, I'd find it quite difficult is um Adam said that because I thought that Jeremiah when mm. is it Jeremiah or Jeremiah? Jeremiah Jeremiah yeah um when he was giving his oh, I just thought the whole way through he was doing the Nicolas Cage impression and <laughs> apparently Nicolas Cage was offered that role but he said, mm. no, I want the other one. Do yeah. you think the film would have been as big of a hit if it wasn't Nick as Red? Yeah. So you didn't get all of that. So if somebody else was Red, would it have been as big as it is? Mm. He certainly seemed, yeah, like a great choice for, the, for that role. Yeah. Mm. I, said to, I think at one point I said to you when I was trying to describe the 80s type, Mm. Sort of movies that this kind of homages or references or whatever mm. is I said to you that in the 80s without a shadow of a doubt Red would have been played by Arnold Schwarzenegger that's just mm. yeah. and imagine that now <laughs> well, but can you imagine if it had been made in like 1987 Arnie's playing Red mm. but Nicolas Cage plays Jeremiah Sam yeah yeah that would have been, you know, but I think that was probably... Less Arnie yeah. as Conan is... Yeah. Seems, seems definitely applicable, yeah. 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 And I think that there's that sort of... There's that thing to it. But I actually think, you know, I, Nicolas Cage as Jeremiah would have just been, oh, look, here's Nicolas Cage in this funny, mm. this funny film. Whereas mm. actually with Red, he gets to be oddly more actly, even yeah. though he barely says a word yeah. after... You know, after the sort of turning point. Yeah. Well, he's kind of an anti-hero, really, isn't he? He's, he's messed up 
you know, just a raging. But I also think there's the open music, Starless and Bible Black. Uh, sorry, just Starless by King Crimson. Mm. Which, like, and a lot of people say a metal film. I think it's a prog film. Mm. It's got a lot more noodling and a lot more, you know, it noodles about. It's not quite metal. You'd expect a bit more sturm and drang and you're only really getting that at the end. Yeah. Mm. But, but the song um, Starless is kind of a similar structure because it's a 12 minute song and you've got like the, I think it's like the first five minutes are very sort of Court of the Crimson King, quite romantic, slow, quiet. And that's the bit that's the opening music mm. that they're using this. And then after that five minutes, it then goes really ominous in the way that only King Crimson do. And it's just a real slow, steady, build, pulsing sort mm. of thing, which feels like the, the cult element of the film. Mm. And then it goes absolutely fucking jazz ape shit at the end, which again is, <laughs> which is the end of the film. But it, we're referring back to that first passage. So it's kind of like, you know, I think it's almost like the film is based around the song almost. Mm. I would have been nice for them to actually, it might have been good to stick those other bits in there. I don't know. But it's like, yeah, it is like that sort of slow, romantic, ominous, mental is the structure of the song. And that's pretty much the structure of the film. Um, it's dedicated to uh, Johan Johannesson, who is the composer who died just after this was completed. Mm -hmm. um, probably of an accidental overdose. Like he, a picture of uh, prescription and non-prescription drugs, basically. Um, and then Kren, uh, who's a guy called Pepin Cauldron, who follows me on Instagram, and he's great, thank you. I love you. <laughs> uh, who did the music for Monster and some like really cool other sort of low-budget horror stuff and things like that. He's really great. Mm. And he was the one who basically edited the music and turned it into what it was. They basically just gave him uh, Johan Johannesson's uh, hard drive. Mm. Said, can you sort of get from this the, the soundtrack? So it sort of comes from that. And like you say, you've got Stephen O'Malley doing the guitar work on it, which is so apparent in that church sequence. Because it's like, son o Yeah. And, and that's what I loved about it. I say one of the things I did, I did love the aesthetic, yeah, and the sound design on it is just like you say, like the 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 choice of the music always works so perfectly that it's never intrusive, but you can totally like it never feels out of step, which yeah. is quite often with, like, with yeah. stuff like this where you say where it's a very um, not quite up and down. But like every scene has totally got its own feel, mm. yeah, and it works perfectly, like straight through. Um, I didn't even notice that there was no music on the end titles, which is obviously unusual. Yeah. Normally, especially in horror films, there's something else I'm learning. They've all got like a theme tune. Yeah, mm. you either get the theme tune, or if it's the slightly more successful end of the film, uh, of like the franchise, you'll get like the new metal song or the rap song <laughs> like where they've just they've just franchised the soundtrack out to like three decent bands and a bunch of no marks yeah. <laughs> and yeah someone someone gets the end credit someone gets their end credit music on. but that's always how you can tell a, a really great soundtrack you're quite right there. that's what i always find 
you know if the, the soundtrack has been absolutely perfect, if the points where there aren't where there isn't any, you kind of don't notice because it all it all just feels right. So it doesn't you don't suddenly feel like there's anything missing. It just yeah. feels like it's been perfectly orchestrated all the way through. Well, I mean Billy Connolly in Colombo. <laughs> he, when he's the conductor, he says if the music's done right you won't notice it at all yeah that's absolutely correct absolutely unless it's a Jane Bond film and then you notice the music but you're too busy going twang <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously we'll have to make an honourable mention to the Cheddar Goblin my Cheddar mm. Goblin so which oh and also the horror film that was playing what was that oh mm. um i did write it down it's uh, a film called night beast which is a trauma film uh and as i just i had to then describe trauma to claire and then <laughs> and then also had to point out that oh yeah this was actually when trauma were kind of kind of meant it rather than they realized that it's like actually we you know, if we're doing stuff on a low budget, we might as well take the piss. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's still back from the, the days of, yeah. The um, I think it's back from the days of when they were actually sort of like, no, we can do, we can, we can compete with Star Wars. We've got the effects. <laughs> We've got people here. Right. I did notice um, Elijah Wood was I think one of the co-producers at the start yeah. on, the, on those credits. So is he getting more and more into the horror scene? Oh, he certainly is. Yeah. I think he's been a big fan. I've still not seen him in Maniac, like the remake of Maniac. He was mm. in Sin City. You said he had a bit more to do with that than just being in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's actually a, a serial murderer in Sin yeah, City. He's really he's creepy in it, yeah. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, basically all of his Lord of the Rings money, he's using it wisely. And <laughs> rather than Rather than the old, the old sort of like you know, oh, I'm I'm a child, I'm a near enough child act, made lots of money. Let's spaff this up the wall and die early. Mm. He just goes, well, if we invest, I can make movies with Nicolas Cage <laughs> by nutters. He's always my pointless answer on pointless. Um, <laughs> if there's ever, <laughs> if there's ever Elijah Wood as the character on the on the final, I'm picking it. Because I know that Elijah Wood was in Back to the Future 2 when he was. Was he? Yeah. Funnily enough, right, I just watched that with my son yeah. um, two days ago. And it is, uh, he's been struggling to go to sleep because he's been getting scared lately. So I said, right, we can watch a bit of a film, which is yeah, a terrible idea, but it does seem <laughs> to work. And especially the ones I'm picking, because obviously I'm picking all the ones that I should have watched. And Back to the Future 2, people Thanks. loved. Uh, Strangers, uh, well, yeah, not not quite, <laughs> but, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, back to true. It was really good, actually. I was, I was yeah. If you want, to so, so who was? There's the, the two little kids in the eighties bar when they're in the uh, and there's two little. Oh, they're kids playing the arcade, aren't they? Playing the arcade game. Yeah, and things on the them, Yeah. He's really spent a lot of time in the horror genre recently, as Adam was saying. Like he's, he seems to have been working in production on a lot of uh, some really good horror stuff. I say he's mm. um, uh, come to Daddy. Yeah, uh, yes. yeah, fantastic movie, such a good film. Um, yeah, and so not what I was expecting from him at all. Mm. But yeah, really solid. Well, I, I guess think- you could say Lord of the Rings had horror 
elements in it. It's fantasy elements, definitely. Mm, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. spelled in this film, somebody else. That's true. Mm, yeah. See, I think, actually, this is something that I, this, it was an expression I came up with, and it's the one that I'm going to dine out on for the rest of my life as a horror, horror pundit. Um, is horror, horror in intent versus horror in content. Mm. Yes. And I think that certainly from a point of view, Mandy is horror in content, not necessarily in intent. Yeah. Yeah. The monsters is horror in content, not in intent. Yes. Yeah. And then, but then, I don't know, probably talk about serial killer is horror in intent, not necessarily content. Mm-hmm. Mm. Don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the trappings of a horror film, but unlike, say, Silence of the Lambs, which trades on both, really. But I think there is a, there is an extreme difference, and I think we've covered quite a few of the differences. Mm. Like the, we've we've covered quite a flip flop of both style of films. Oh, sorry. Can I just jump back one second? Sorry, something we discussed earlier. Um, executive producer of LFO, which you recently watched, Alan, uh, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Oh. Oh, yeah. Very good. He's been putting his money in good places. That young lad. That yeah. Lucrece Strangler, which, yeah, we'll discuss that at some point. He is a good lad. Uh, the, obviously, um, he goes, and Red goes and gets his uh, crossbow that he's named the Reaper. Yeah. Uh, off of um, Mac from Predator. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in, just incomparable Mr. Bill Duke, who is just, it's so great. When he turned up, when I first watched this, it was like, Oh my god! I had a proper like free so. Ooh. <laughs> and, but um, but also the axe that he makes does have a name. It is called the Beast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when I think of that, I just think of the Beast from uh, what we do in the shadows. He was so good, Bill Duke. Yes, yeah. He was so good. He's a fantastic <laughs> actor. Yeah, when I was watching the second half, mm. he was the one bit that I was watching without going, fucking. Like, he was the one bit I watched great. And I'm going to say it. Yeah. In Wayne's World 2, right, they get <laughs> Charlton Nelson in. Yeah. And they go, well, there's a shit at the first. And they go, no, we can, it's a small part, but we can do better than that. And I feel like that's what they did. Yeah. They could have got anyone for that like tiny, tiny scene, mm. but you could tell you had to have someone that would, like you say, Nick Cage was really great in this. Yeah, I've just had that bit extra. Yeah. yeah. Also, someone who can rock steady it. Yeah. Not someone who's going to play with Nicolas Cage and go, oh, we're doing mental, are we? Let's gnash our teeth. Let's yeah. go fucking ape shit. Someone who just sits there and calmly does. Yeah. 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 So, I've got the backstory here. I, I don't think I want to know what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's very, a kind of anchored performance. Like, it's very mm. solid. It's very understated. But like you say, like, you just get the impression from him. You're like, yeah, his story is almost as exciting as anything else that's happening in this film, and we don't yeah. even know it. It's really good. Really. Yeah. That is why uh, Claire's never seen Predator. <gasps> Mm. So we will be doing that because then you get to see uh, 
uh, Bill Duke in, in, in all his glory. I've not seen Alien and I've not seen Predator, but I have seen Alien versus Predator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably not the best out of yeah. all of the options, I imagine. Not, I haven't seen that. But... I think I was like 14 and wanted to go to the pictures because there's nothing else you can do. And you're like, I don't want to watch a PG. Now I'm going to watch a 15. <laughs> that, yeah. that was the one that was there. Yeah. I've got to say, Predator is it's just one of the best casts ever put together for a yeah. stupid 80s action movie. And it's, it's one of those rare occasions where I'm jealous of someone, where they go, oh, I'm going to watch this for the first time. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> fuck you. I wish I was watching it for the first time. Because the first time you say that film, it's just... Oof. Oof. Especially when, <laughs> especially when it gets to the bit with the raw bodies hanging out of the tree, and you can just go skid up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, obviously, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I think every actor in this is really good. I mean, Andrea Riseborough as Mandy gets little. It's. I think she does with it what it needs. Yeah. And especially in the confrontation with her and Jeremiah Sand, she is just brilliant. Mm. And, and actually, just talking about again visuals, that where they slowly fade between their faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was great. Mm. That is just one of those moments where you genuinely go, "Is this?" Yeah. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah. But you've been—it's done such so slowly, but so well. Mm. I think nothing else. Um, you know, I think trips are fairly well sort of. Yeah. Uh, performed in this in, in this in this film, but again, like going back to the eighties and this though, that's one thing that I really love about this film is the fact that in an eight, I think the eighties version of this with Nick Cage as Jeremiah Sand and Arnie mm. as Red, the plot would have been we would have got to the revenge quicker, but the plot would have been he turns up, he rapes her, you get to see her tits. Yeah. She gets killed. Because <laughs> yeah. really, I'm like, we were saying about Mandy felt sort of like she didn't really need to be there, almost yeah. apart from that's the name of the film. I felt like Jeremiah could have been swapped out because all he really, mm. I, I don't feel like that was a cult because I don't think he had the power. I think he just picked people stupid enough. Oh, yeah. No, that's the point. Mm. And so when, like, Mandy couldn't see through it, could see through him, mm. he didn't know how to act. He was asking God in the mirror, what the hell do I do? Yeah. And mm. then when Red could see through him, he was like, oh, okay, so you're the God. Um, I'll suck you off. Because yeah. that's the only yeah. way he knew how to communicate yeah. with people. Yeah, that's, mm. that's what he's got people to do yeah, to him. Exactly. And it's that, it is that weird thing of the, changing of allegiance but that's what i like about mm. this is the restraint of that but also that you don't just get the, the that crappy narrative but really the fact that the strongest person in the film is mandy because she just sees through all this whole shit even though she's high as a fucking kite on acid that distorts reality and a, and a giant hornet sting which was like the worst bit of the film that was the bit where i was like Ugh. see now, i had i had the other one which was when Nicholas Cage is walking around that house of that couple who have been killed by the bikers and yeah. he's walking around in the kitchen he's like, oh, big jar of what looks like cum. <laughs> <laughs> that in my mouth. 
trip so badly you don't know where you are or what's going on around you. If that's what, what this is your making, idiot. I thought, wasn't it cocaine or something? Oh no, it does the coke first off of it. He does the coke oh, first. Right. Oh, right. Like I say, we're, we're into the 14 year olds bit of the film. Yeah. And also, why the fuck not? Actually, this is, a, this, this is a genuine quote. Obviously, chops the biker's head off by the birding car, finds the cigarette. Claire said, if he lights that off the head, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. Mm. And then I had to rugby tackle you. To I've got written down here in my notes, yeah, that that is one of my life goals is to light a cigarette from the burning, <laughs> the burning head of your enemy. Of your enemy. If I don't yeah. manage that before I die, then I didn't achieve anything. <laughs> that is, but but like I say, I think that's the thing is I think I love the fact that the film has that element where, like I say, the end of the film is Jeremiah gets destroyed there. Yeah. Mm. everything else is it all going wildly out of control that leads to his eventual actual death mm. but that's the point where he is destroyed that's the point where he loses control and you know he's shouting at the gang not to laugh at him and everything else like that and he is just made an utter utter prick of himself yeah and he's embarrassed yeah and it's like she just cuts through him and it doesn't matter doesn't matter setting her on fire or anything else like that he is never going to recover in yeah. his yeah. tawdry little mind his composure back where he is god well because he says to him don't look yeah mm. stop looking yeah yeah and stop laughing and, and, and it's just especially because i mean he's yeah and um but oh jeremiah sound actor linus roach uh i will give you a sherbet lemon if you can guess which British soap character he is the son of. What? Really? Yeah. Because Linus Roach is English. And um, he's... Actually, I'm going to say it now. If anyone gets the chance to see the film Priest that he is in, watch it because it's fucking phenomenal. It's dark as shit, but it is really fucking good. Um, but yeah, so any takers? EastEnders. No, not EastEnders. The Bill. No. Coronation Street. Coronation Street, yeah. Right, now I know no no actors from Coronation Street. No, nor do I. But you will know this name. When I tell you, Jeremiah Sand is the son of Ken Barlow. Oh, no. No. (laughs) You've seen Ken Barlow's son's cop. (laughs) I can die happy now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say not just him the entire casting the one thing that is absolutely and that's why I was so angry at this film like you know I've said this multiple times it should have if a film is shit it is shit if it's got so many amazing components and it falls down on something like editing or whatever it, it absolutely destroys me and that's the problem with this film. it looks beautiful the sound is phenomenal there is not an actor in it who gives anything less than 100 percent. it's got so many fantastic components and the fact that they've just not edited it down but yeah you reckon that's it it's a bit more editing and it probably would have been i, I think it would have been a 
Yeah. I think if this had been an hour and a half, I do think this would have been a bigger hit. Mm. Yeah. And then I would have bought the director's cut and then told sure. everyone the director's cut was much better. And everyone yeah. But So we're saying that no matter what happened, I'd still have watched all of that. Yeah. Oh. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm watching it like, <laughs> possibly, you know, uh, taking a halib orange or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nerves, you know. You know, Lee, you could edit your own version. I'm not going to lie. I, you don't I, need to. You just skip through to the chapter that says Marion Beer. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I'd be almost tempted with it. Yeah. To yeah to just cut it down to an hour and fifteen and go right. You think that film is great, but watch this version. I'd almost mm. be tempted to spend two or three days and do it just to prove to you how. Can I ask something that hasn't been brought up yet but that is brilliant and that's all the animation like all of mm, the yeah yeah good point were really really great yeah and again I think that's a, a lovely sort of mm. uh, way to do that sort of thing mm. if it's like inside Red's mind and his yeah work. and it's it's interesting actually because now you've brought up something that's made me think even more is he Remember, after everything is is done, he remembers meeting her, mm. and that's the first memory he has of her that isn't a cartoon. Mm. Where it's almost like he has to unlock yeah. the ability to remember her as her, yeah, rather than as this figure, like this sort of goddess figure that's yeah. driving him on. Yeah, um, and I like that, but yeah, the animation. Yeah. Fucking terrific. More style. Yeah, you get some cartoon boobs and a real life uh, Corrie Cock. That's what you get. Linus Roach is Thomas Wayne in Batman Begins. And he is shot by Richard Brake, who plays Joe Chill in Batman Begins. And Richard Brake is the chemist. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, obviously, he's in in lots of uh, Rob Zombie stuff now. Yeah, he is, yeah. But... He is the Night King in Game of Thrones. Mm. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But it's like, because yeah. that was the thing, is I said to Claire, oh, you might know him. And he said, no. And I was like, oh, he's Night King in Game of Thrones. It's, it's a bit difficult when he's bright blue with fucking clothes, you know. But, oh, so I think another couple of bits. The Beast. The shape of the beast is the F in Celtic Frost's logo. Really? Yeah, that's what it's based on. And I thought that would be... I thought you'd like that. Yeah. The, the book that Mandy reads is made, is made up for the film. That's not a real author and not a real book. Um, the tainted blade of the pale knight, straight from the abyssal lair, i.e. the rusty kitchen knife that he stabs Red with, that's actually a D&D reference. Oh, mm. okay. Uh, but again, this whole film's a ding ding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't get into the whole of Abraxas breaking down the barriers between realities. I'll save that for myself. I, 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 can, enjoy, I can enjoy that to myself, you know. It, it could um, have been a bit of a, you know, a computer game before they had as intricate storylines as, you know, yeah. films do now. It, it definitely had all that, you know, boss battles and. Why yeah. put together. Yeah, I wondered, uh, so Abraxas, you were saying it's the sword of Abraxas. Now, that was obviously a film itself with um, uh, a Back to Predator. Uh, what's it, uh, Jesse the 
Jesse Ventura. Yeah, there is a film called Braxus in which. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, nothing to do with that. A Braxus is a trickster demon in Gnostic teachings. Mm-hmm. Ah. And seeks to confuse and control humans. Well, we can't do that in his spare time, can we? So, <laughs> just love that bit. He is sometimes portrayed as reptilian with snakes for legs. All I can say at that point is, I just got, when I read that, I just thought of the Mighty Bush. Yeah. You know, he punched him so hard he had trombones for legs. Oh, yeah. 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 But yeah, in Gnostic, in Gnostic, fuck me, right, have me shot. In Gnostic belief, um, there are multi realities that rub up against each other and are portrayed on different planes and things like that. And Abraxas is actually considered the god of this universe, but not actually god. Mm. He's just like this universe, which is slightly shit because he's a trickster god. <laughs> who, best with humans and have snakes for legs so you know which is nice he can do that they did release jeremiah sands song on vinyl <laughs> yeah and the b-side the b-side's called my journey and it's linus roach telling like in character the story of jeremiah's life with mm. him like hating his parents and killing his mum and stuff like that and just yeah and that is uh, yeah that's uh, that's all the weather. The, I'd, l- I'd like to hear it, but I don't know that I'd rush out to buy it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can see my pants. No, you know, my pants. I've got pants. <laughs> I ordered myself, I ordered myself a couple of Mandy t-shirts. They sent some bloodstained pants for me as well. <laughs> all right. But thank you, Jim. That was a great. That was a great little surprise in the middle. They know their target audience. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Now, I think before we finish up, we've just got to be in awe of Nicolas Cage and his ludicrousness. Yes. Nephew of Francis Ford Coppola, real name, Nicholas Kim Coppola. Yeah. Massive comics fan. The reason he's called Nicholas Cage is because the character Luke Cage. That's very good name. Mm. Um, and he has a, his second born son is called Cal L. Cage after Superman. Mm. Oh. Real Kryptonian. You wouldn't do it. His first son, Weston Coppola Cage, is a black metal singer with the bands Eye of Noctum and Arsh Anubis. That's what I've put there. He and Cage co-wrote a comic series called Voodoo Child. Married (laughs) first wife was Patricia Arquette. His second, Lisa Marie Presley. Presley? Presley. His last marriage lasted four days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, that right. whole thing is on YouTube. Yeah. Literally. Right. And do you want to hear the list of things that he's bought over the years? Oh. As, well as, as well as being, a, a, apparently he is a very, very charitable man. But that might be excess kind of does that to you, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like, rich for everyone. Yeah. Mm. You know, so, you know, it's like so medicine for Sons all frontiers. There you go. Take all that. So um, a couple but, of things. I know that he's he's bought. Uh, he's already bought his uh, grave, which is in yeah. New Orleans, and is a big fucking marble pyramid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's also bought the um, the Laurie House in New Orleans yeah. as well, where we lived for a while. Um, and the had a massive house in New Orleans. 
He had a massive row with his wife one day, went out and got so drunk that he came back and started shouting at the wrong fucking house and had to be arrested by all accounts because uh, he couldn't tell his own house from somebody else's. Wow. Love that uh, man. He's owned two albino cobras, a shark, a crocodile, and an octopus. <laughs> he once bought a tar he bought a tartosaurus skull but had to return it when it found out that it was actually a black market illegal item stolen. <laughs> he owned he owned a Gulfstream jet, the Shah of Iran's Lamborghini, <gasps> heads. He has a private island next to Johnny Depp's. Oh. Uh, and um, yeah. Uh, but he also bought, in 97, he bought Action Comics number one, which is like the debut of Superman. Mm. And, mm -hmm. and it, apparently it was in pretty, a pretty good condition copy. But he bought that for $110,000 in 1997. Mm. In 2000, along with some other rarities in his collection, this was stolen after a party at his house. Now, let's use the word party at Nicholas Cage's house mm. to make you realise why someone could walk off with half your fucking comics. <laughs> yeah. They finally found it in 2011, partially with the help of the show Storage Hunters. Okay. I know. But, so it returned to Cage, who then had to, he had to sell it to pay off, well, loads of debts for mortgages, drugs, alimony... Um, all that charity money that he pushed out and then thought, hang on, I ain't got a pot of piss in here. Mm. He sold it for $2,161,000. Holy That's shit. not a bad profit. So that, that is a, I, I did the maths and everything, that is a 1,864% price increase. Jeez. The price he bought it for in 97. So not a bad investment. <laughs> really smart considering you know we've all seen him doing cartwheels and throwing dollars on uh, is it Parkinson or something he was oh, on he <laughs> just runs out does a kung fu kick and then throws money fucking <laughs> bastard I love him I love him so much I feel like we do need to sorry if you're not yeah, um, also mention his um what he's contributed to internet culture. Nicholas Cage is the meme that keeps giving. Yes. There's so many Nick memes that I didn't even realise were him. Some of the original rage face memes, the frustration rage face memes, I didn't realise was him um, until about five minutes ago. And I was just like, what is that called? <laughs> then, yeah, it's him. So, um, yeah, he's he is. Yeah, he's the daddy the, of the, the internet. internet. Yeah, he is. He totally is, and he deserves to be as well. If you've ever seen Vampire's Kiss, I haven't, and I really want. <gasps> I saw it last year, maybe the year before, for the first time. Jennifer and I watched it, and it is more backbeat than you could ever possibly imagine. Oh, I might have to, I'm going to have to check it out. You've got to I mean, do it. The film I really want to check out is, is Werewolf Women of the SS, but they've not made it. Uh. But and I thought this would appeal to you, Lee. In January 2017, he attended the annual Alamo Drafthouse Nicholas Cage Film Festival in Austin. <laughs> Apparently, they invited him every year, pretty much as a joke. And then one year he turned up. 
uh, unannounced, and then he watched a few of his films, talked to everyone, and then did a Q and A and read the Telltale part. <laughs> See, needless to say, he will be playing Joe Exotic in an upcoming series. Mm. Based on <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's based on. Nicholas Cage's or Joe Exotic's, but either way, wow. yeah. Okay, I mean, that's good casting. Yeah. Who the fuck else is going to ever play Joe Exotic than Nick Cage? It just. I'm surprised he's not insisted on playing it himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't. They don't tend to let you out. They do biopics of your own life. Yeah. And remember, and remember the quote from uh, what's it called from Val Kilmer? With, with Val Kilmer, even if it was called the Joe Exotic story, wouldn't buy that for it. <laughs> but yeah well done Mr Cage he's just he's just brilliant he is brilliant. and the thing is when he's well cast he's absolutely astonishing yeah but uh, like mum and dad like he's <laughs> so perfect in that film because it's a batshit movie where he just gets to be a, a homicidal lunatic it, it, it's because it's so Yeah, I can't go wrong with him. He's just astonishing. Right, you've messed up the rest of my Saturday night because I've just looked up Nicholas Cage memes and I've missed <laughs> half of these and they are just awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. He's an absolute <laughs> lunatic in real life. Like he's just, and the thing is, the films he does is what's so. I think my favourite film of his, and I love Gone in sixty seconds. But Drive Angry is one of the most stupid films I've ever seen in my life. And he just makes it an absolute goldmine. Isn't Drive Angry just a script direction in most Nicolas Cage films? (laughs) 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 It's fantastic. It's the film in which he's having sex with a prostitute. um, And then I think it's the... I can't remember if it's a, a, a rival gang or the legal of hell, but somebody turns up to have a pop at him, um, and he's, so he's got a woman, he, he's naked, she's naked, she is sat upon him, he stands upright, picks up two guns, with her still hanging around him, and he's just spinning around the room, just shooting people. It's absolute lunacy in the best way possible. <laughs> It's just, it's it's machete without the irony. It's fantastic. (laughs) That's saying something, isn't it? But also, when you you go through the list of Nicolas Cage films, you do realise that it's like, there's at least two or three that you go, oh, fuck yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) And they will be good films as well. (laughs) Yeah. But also, it's, it's quite weird that he's never really... You, you know, even sort of like quite a lot of similar sort of era and ex- exposure or fame stars, he doesn't really, he, he's never really done bit parts or anything. He's usually the star of the film. You know, he's, or he's, you know, or it's rarely an ensemble cast with Nicholas Cage. But he would be the perfect ensemble actor. And that's the thing, like, if you get him in to just play, right, there's this small character, he's a fucking lunatic, we just need him to be an evil boss of... Like, um, yeah, almost like a James Bond film. 
So we've got the evil guy. He only does 10 minutes on set, but he's absolutely mental. We're getting the yeah. He never does those roles, ever. He no. only ever stars and just... Yeah. That's, that's probably why, more than anything, why he wanted to be called Red. Why he wanted to be Red, rather. Yeah, true. Uh, rather than Jeremiah, because Jeremiah's not the, it's not the starring role. Even though the film's called Mandy. I mean, that would have been interesting if Nick McClosey played Mandy. <laughs> God bless him, I think you've had a go. He'd have yeah. done it. Oh, I have no doubt of that. <laughs> um, all I can say is for those, for, for the dissenting voices with regard to Mandy, all I can say is if you are not with me, how can you ascend? <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we shall call it an evening. <laughs> So we'll be covering Host. Yes. Mm. Not the Japanese uh, monster movie. No, because that's the host. It might it? be the host. Um, but, yeah, the Zoom film host, yeah. So we'll be covering that next week. And then following that, um, I've got a little list of uh, 10 films that we are ready to queue up and run through, uh, which I'll run through with Adam before. Um, are any of them likely candidates to get Claire back on? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think some of them are. We will discuss those at a later date. Go on, Adam. You, are you going to say something? No, I was, but then I didn't want to start revealing films to Chris off that yeah. list. So. Oh, yes. Sorry, I've, I've, I've thought of one that I would definitely like to see from that list. Oh, excellent. Right. Let us know, and uh, I shall be sure to tick it and uh, make sure that you're on for that episode. Lovely. Fantastic. Right. I love to Always lovely to have you. Thank you very much for joining us this evening, Claire. Thank you for having me. You're um, welcome. <laughs> yeah, and we will see you all next week for host. Thanks very much. Thanks, Goodbye. everyone. Goodbye. Bye.